There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, my name is Charlotte Tobit and I'm the UK editor of Press Gazette. Welcome to the second episode of our podcast, Future of Media Explained. This week, our theme is journalism during the war in Ukraine. We know that there's been an influx of foreign journalists into Ukraine, and our calculations at Press Gazette found that there have been more than 50 journalists from the UK alone at any one time in Ukraine since the war began. We also know that at least eight journalists have been killed in Ukraine since the Russian invasion began, with that toll including five Ukrainian journalists and one Russian. And others have been injured, including Sky News chief correspondent Stuart Ramsey, who, along with his team, was lucky to escape and ambush on their car. Now, Press Gazette editor-in-chief Dominic Ponsford has spoken to Andrei Bobarikin, CEO of Ukraine Skepravda, to find out more about the challenges they and other Ukrainian journalists are facing right now. Before we hear the interview, let's speak to Dom to hear a bit more about this. Hi, Dom. Yeah, hi, Charlotte. I think it's fair to say that we've been covering the Ukraine conflict in huge detail, haven't we? But this is one of the few times I've spoken to a Ukrainian journalist about their sort of challenges inside the country. So it was really interesting to speak to him. Before we hear more from him and about him, can you just sort of tell us the basics? So what is Ukrainska Pravda and who is Andrei Bobrykin? So he's the CEO and it's one of the biggest independent news newsrooms in the country. They've got a team of around 100 people and the website does 25 million unique users a, a month, and they publish in Ukrainian and Russia. Yeah, they're kind of a big deal in Ukraine. As an aside, he, he, he's based in um, Western Ukraine in a, in a media hub there. And I was due to interview him on the 9th of May, which um, was Victory Day in Russia. Uh, we actually had to postpone that for a day, because even though he's in the far west of Ukraine, they were told that they couldn't really leave their homes because they were expecting to be bombarded at any moment by the Russians. So that was a bit of a sobering uh, reminder, really. But so we, we put it back in there and we did it and we spoke to him on the 10th of May. Yeah, well, it's so kind of him to give us the time with everything that's going on right now. So obviously we've heard a lot about the situation for members of the public in general in Ukraine. Can you tell us a bit more about the situation for the media and local media in particular in Ukraine right now? 
Yeah, so I guess a few really interesting things about it that came out of the interview. I think one of the main things was the sort of resilience, really, of the media. So Andre's done a, a bunch of research uh, looking at local media in the Ukraine, in addition to his day job of running this big website. And they found that around 50% of the local media titles have managed to continue pretty much, you know, as they were before. Obviously disruptive, but they've not actually had to um, let staff go yet. Even though, obviously, the economy has been hugely disrupted and the war has moved everyone around, it's incredible how journalists and the media keep going in even the most horrendous of circumstances. You know, just fascinating to get some insight into how they've kept going and, and, and to the challenges they face. Yeah, so on that, so, so what do you think we in the UK and elsewhere can learn from the actions of our colleagues in Ukraine? I think the big thing to me from the interview is, is just being inspired by their kind of amazing uh, resilience and fortitude. Intriguingly, in, in addition to their battle with the Russians, they're, they're in a bit of a different kind of economic battle with the tech giants in the same way that we are here when it comes to the sort of battle for ad revenue, really. Andre was quite outspoken about that and about, about the fact that they, they face a big challenge with ad revenue share with sort of Facebook and Google and uh, the fact they don't get much or anything out of Facebook and Google in return. That's definitely one for the tech giants to have a look at, I reckon. Yeah, that definitely sounds familiar. Right, well, I think that's enough from us. Let's hear from Andre. Don, can you introduce the interview for us then? Yeah, so I, I, so I began by asking Andre what the situation was like for media in Ukraine before the war. Then, then we went into what's happened since. I like to say that in Ukraine, like we have very similar problems, all the globally publishers are facing both in America, UK, European Union and Asian countries as well. So there is like a growing power of technological platforms and they are increasingly dominant in, in terms of Ukrainian audience media consumption habits. But what really is different with uh, Ukraine and all the post-Soviet countries is that we really hadn't have a chance to have this golden age of press that the American and British media had and most Western countries had as well, because for the entire 20th century, the information ecosystem was very tightly controlled by the Soviet state. And uh, this prevented like independent media from developing really. So the history of the Ukrainian media is like 30 years old and we at the same time like within these 30 years like starting early 90s we've been having like all the all the problems that everyone else had so like the rise of the internet the rise of google and facebook who took classified business from publishers for instance which was like one of the biggest monetization streams and also like all the all the ad money have basically moved to to the platforms. And it's even, I know we'll, we'll probably talk about this later on, but it's even worse on the local level than on the national level. Yeah, that's interesting. So you've kind of only known a period when we've had all this disruption. Yeah. And yeah, that's interesting about Google and Facebook. Obviously, that's an issue that we have in the UK and elsewhere. But at least um, we get some payments now from Google and Facebook, actually, publishers. Well, some, some of them do anyway. Do you guys get any 
support from Google and Facebook in terms of any direct revenue in the Ukraine? Uh, no, unfortunately, Ukraine is not like a very lucrative market for the tech platforms because our overall population is declining in, in the recent uh, decades. And also like the, the local ad market, the local digital market is not so big. So therefore, on one hand, we're not a big uh, revenue stream for either Google or Meta. And also like we won't grow anytime soon, which is why mostly we are not participating. This region at all is not participating in any of the big projects as opposed to Africa, for instance, where like in Nigeria or Kenya, they have a lot of programs from these companies that are not available here just because like the market is growing there and the, the user base is growing and everything is growing. So, but, but nonetheless, they're still, Google and Meta are still taking, I mean, a large proportion of the online advertising revenue, are they in Ukraine, as far as you know? Yes, yes. But as opposed to other regions, this region is not that big. But at the same time, yeah, like the duopoly here is, uh, is rather dominating the entire ad market. Suppose the Russian invasion, what's the state of the, and this is probably where your research comes in, but what's the state of the local and national media in Ukraine now? Is it? Do you have a sense of how many publishers are still operating and what proportion of the editorial workforce of journalists are still able to function? Well, quite surprisingly, like most of the publishers have managed to continue operating and that's uh, a very good, you know, s sign of uh, the resilience of the Ukrainian media. And some of the publishers have managed to avoid any layoffs, Krinska Pravda included. So we, we managed not to lay off anyone and sustain operations. But at the same time, we right now, most of the Ukrainian media are actively searching for grant financing from donor organizations and uh, that will be like in the coming months i think that will be the biggest financing stream for many publishers for most publishers i think and uh, those publishers who won't be able to secure uh, donor funding they it will be very hard for them to sustain operations because the ad market has has fallen 90% uh, when the war started in the, in the months uh, since the war. Right now, I think that to some extent it's getting back to life because like we are two and a half months into this and the companies are starting to adapt to the changed environment, but still it's far from what it used to be before the war. It has been either donor funding or advertisement as like two main business models, if, if it's correct to say that in Ukraine, we didn't have like a lot of reader revenue projects and it's, it has been very early in terms of reader revenue. And now it's obviously like it will not be a significant channel for monetization anytime soon because like reader revenue projects compete with army fundraisers and volunteer projects. So it's not like a very critical expense right now to fund media. I mean, for, for individuals, not for uh, dollar works. 
And what about print? Is there is there is there much or any printed media functioning at the moment? Newspapers. I know that like for the local publishers who were involved in the print business, who had like print newspapers, uh, some of them they are participating in different uh, sorts of programs to sustain the print versions. But if we are speaking about like publishers uh, from the eastern regions or the southern regions, where the war is is in the active phase right now, I think that uh, most of them have stopped uh, their print operations because it's really hard to distribute the print products when the war is going. And also it's hard to, to actually print it. It's, it's uh, hit really hard. But in the broader picture, I, I mean, digital transformation has been like a, a major topic for the last several years for the local publishers. And a lot of them have been transitioning from print to digital. So it's like print has been on, on the decline for since pretty much the, the, the same, same time that in the UK or, or the US. So in terms of coverage, how do you, uh, in your paper and other papers, are you still really just writing about the war or, or, is, or is coverage started to normalize at all and started to write about other types of things that are happening? Well, uh, the war is going. So uh, the, the, obviously, like the coverage is dominated by, by the war-related content. However, in the last 30 days, I'd say that looking at the traffic numbers, I'd say that we, we are seeing like uh, traffic normalizing and getting closer to the pre-war figures. But still, like our media, for instance, our publication has significantly higher traffic than, than before the war, but, but still less than in, in March, for instance. And it's taken a terrible toll, hasn't it, this war in terms of journalists killed? How do you, um, as an employer, go about keeping your staff safe while, while still trying to bear witness to what's happening on the ground? Uh, well, we are like a news publisher. So we, our biggest strength is uh, news gathering and we, we monitor and uh, aggregate a lot of uh, news content. We have people on the ground, but they are, well, well, we obviously we are worried about their safety, but uh, right now, like most of them are safe, but the, the war itself has been devastating for the journalists. I, I think it's like the highest number of journalists uh, who died in, in a year right now. And it's still like May and it's like 21, I guess, journalists who died in Ukraine right now. Yeah, so it's it's very hard. And also, like, with the Media Development Foundation and the, lots of other organizations, they have provided, uh, like, helmets and bulletproof vests for journalists. We're trying to, you know, to help them be more prepared, but it cannot protect from the bombs, I guess. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Songs are like tattoos, Mitchell said on Blue. Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled into one. Featuring writing from our authors, including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover, 
Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election, and Sophie McBain on the refugee crisis. Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Marwa screamed back, Who is dying? Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And what are the other sorts of challenges that you face and, and your staff have faced over the last you know couple of months beyond that, beyond the sort of personal safety and the obvious, obviously the revenue challenge? Uh, well, I think that the editorial team is uh, particularly stressed by the intense news cycle that has emerged uh, since the war started because it's like right now it's 24-7 and uh, the pressure on news editors and and journalists is rather high. So I would say that part of it is the psychological pressure because they have to write news about like the atrocities being, you know, done on the Ukrainian soil, which has not been the case for decades since the World War Two, And uh, and also like it's just uh, plain uh, work pressure because we, we, we try to also involve like volunteers who help with news gathering, with uh, SMM and with writing news, translating the news. 
but still like the core editorial team is super stressed by this whole situation, especially in the first like 30 days of, of, of this. Right now it's a bit easier, I guess, but still very stressful. And what are the sort of key things um, that you've learned, I guess, so far about about coping with this situation and, and, and also from your research? Well, well, the key things is that, as I said, like the psychological and the workload stress is devastating, especially for the local news teams that are rather small. And so they, they need to simultaneously cope with several challenges. One is like the workload and the psychological stress. Another one is the end of the ad market, which has not been like very high margin for the local publishers even before the war. And now most of most of the money is gone. And also for the war affected regions, they are seeing that on one hand their audience is moving to other regions. People are becoming refugees and uh, are moving to Poland, Germany, UK, Canada, uh, and other Western countries to run from the war and to stay safe. And also like the journalists themselves, they, they have to have to go somewhere safe where they can work. In the Russia occupied areas, it's almost impossible for the independent local media to properly operate because journalists and activists are the first they are targeting once they capture a certain territory. We already seen like uh, numerous attacks on independent journalists in the occupied territories. So the, there are numerous challenges and uh, as part of uh, our program that we have set up with Media Development Foundation to address these challenges, we called it the Local News Emergency Fund. We are trying to uh, address all of these different sorts of challenges. We, we are helping them find financing. We help editorial teams to revise uh, their editorial strategy and uh, uh, the publisher, uh, like the broader publisher teams to work out a new business strategy in this new environment. And also like provide like some practical help from experts like, I don't know, if, if a publisher needs help with SEO or SMM strategy or content or video, we are helping them find experts from the leading national level publications and international experts to address these challenges right now. So we, right now with this project, we, we are working with around 50 uh, independent publishers from around Ukraine. Well, mostly from uh, Eastern, Central and Southern regions, because these are the ones that are uh, most deeply affected by, by the war situation. And is there anything media organizations or individuals in the UK and elsewhere can do to help? Is there anything uh, the international community can do to help? Uh, well, we are obviously fundraising for, <laughs> for all our yeah. projects. And uh, yeah. there, are, there are several fundraisers uh, that are going now for Ukrainian media. Uh, some are for, for uh, national level media. We are doing a fundraiser for the local media, for the emergency local news project. And the other thing is that if we speak about the local publishers, 
I think that it's it's been a bit unfair, though quite understandable, that they have been uh, away from the spotlight, from the international spotlight, because uh, when writing about the problems that the Ukrainian journalists face, the international publishers are usually focusing on the biggest ones, but actually the biggest ones have much more leverage to sustain themselves even in this situation. And I'm talking here like as an operator of one of the biggest publications in Ukraine. So I know like even in this situation, Ukrainska Pravda has a lot leverage to sustain itself. And if we talk about the local news, they are hit much harder. And the, the condition of the local news industry in Ukraine is critical. And no matter when the war ends, uh, we fear that this is going to be like one big news desert. That's why I think it's, it's for, for the international uh, media-focused community, I think it's important to address the issues the local news are facing here, first of all. And would you like to see the tech giants do more, like the Google and Meta, to maybe devote some, some of the money that they spend supporting journalism around the world to helping projects in the Ukraine? Well, I am slowly getting a reputation of being anti-big tech from the Ukrainian media perspective. There are lots of problems, actually, in Ukraine related to Facebook policies and YouTube policies, and we are trying to draw their attention here. Obviously, yeah, they, they could do more. And uh, one of the big problems right now is that publishers from from the east, from Donetsk and Lugansk regions, where most of the fighting is, is going on right now, the publishers there have their ad accounts on Facebook restricted because Facebook restricted all the ad activity in these regions. That means that if a publisher decides to, you know, to grow its page uh, or like Instagram page or, uh, I don't know, WhatsApp channel, they will not be able to do so because they, they are considered like a publisher from a restricted territory. And that's a big problem for us because we have already found certain funds to help publishers boost their distribution. And we cannot do anything for over 30 publishers from the eastern part of Ukraine. Right now we are drawing Facebook attention to that, but this issue has not been resolved. So yes, obviously a lot can be done, a lot more can be done to address that. And what about YouTube? What are, what are the issues there? Well, YouTube is the biggest platform in Ukraine. I, I think that around... Uh, 25 million of Ukrainians are on the internet at all, and 23.5 of them are watching YouTube almost daily. So it's like a dominating presence on, on the media consumption scene right now. I think that, first of all, YouTube hasn't introduced anything like Ukraine-specific in terms of like special policies or or anything. And also, we're seeing that Advertisers are restricting their campaigns, even even the global ones, not to run ads on videos that are related to current affairs in Ukraine, which you know drastically decreases our 
monetization. I mean, uh, Ukrainska Pravda is like in top 25 uh, YouTube uh, channels right now and uh, in Ukraine, I mean. And we, we have like last month, I think we had around 60 million page views in YouTube, which before the, the war would would be like around $30,000 per month. But now it's closer to $5,000, which is much, much less. And uh, this is uh, mostly because the content is war-related. Not, not all of that content features like blood or something, but ad publishers are decreasing, restricting the, uh, the campaigns not to run on, on this, this sort of content. And it really hits the monetization stream for, for video. Even if they just gave you like a sort of level playing field and a, and a, and a bit of fairness, that would be better than nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But they don't. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, look, thanks very much, Andre, for speaking to me. I mean, it's really, really interesting. And uh, the best of luck. And, and I guess, are you planning yet for what things might look like after the war? Well, uh, right now, the planning uh, scale is like six to nine months. That's the longest that we can plan for. And everyone is obviously waiting uh, for the end of, at least for the end of active military action and for the end of the war itself, of course. But it's really early for us to, you know, make any forecasts regarding what are we going to do because we are in the middle of uh, fundraising for both. Uh, I am in the middle of fundraising both for Ukrainska Pravda as a publication and uh, for our local news emergency fund program. So that's like what we are looking at right now. Okay. Well, look, good luck with that. And, uh, and I hope you and your journalists, you know, stay safe. And it's very good to speak to you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Andrzej Bobarykin speaking to us from Western Ukraine. Dom, what did you take away from speaking to him? I mean, I, I felt quite inspired by him, really, as I, as I always do when I speak to journalists who, you know, not just facing the fairly mundane <laughs> challenges that we face, but they're facing a sort of life and death struggle, aren't they? And they continue doing it. And I guess that's one of the wonderful things about the business we're in, that if you're a journalist, it doesn't matter how dreadful the situation you're in, you, you kind of always remember you're a journalist and... It sounds like, you know, over there that even though people are facing an existential threat, they're still getting on with their jobs and they're still desperate for their brands to continue and for what they do to continue because, you know, it's more than just a job, isn't it? It's a vacation. It's a hugely important part of cultural life of the world. Uh, so, yeah, d just really inspiring. And I think, you know, some questions there to answer for Google and Facebook as well, which I think at Press Gazette will probably drop them a line and see what see what they can do to help the journalists in Ukraine because they reckon they, they've got enough money, haven't they? I think they can um, maybe spread some of that funding they have for, to help uh, newsrooms in Ukraine. Sounds like Andre and his colleagues could really do with it. Yeah, and as you say, it's definitely an issue very close to our hearts. So hopefully our readers will keep an eye out for, for more on that. And also just to, just to mention, I think Andre's raising money for local media in Ukraine to help with their sort of survival. They're desperate for sort of grant funding and for donations and stuff so we'll definitely post a link so that people can get involved if they'd like to like to help them
Perfect. Yeah, hopefully our readers will sort of feel as inspired as you by by this conversation. Great. Well, thanks, Don. That ends our second weekly podcast and we hope everyone will tune in again next time. You've been listening to Future of Media Explained from Press Gazette with me, Charlotte Tobit, and Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford with thanks to our producer, May Robson. If you like our new podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review so that more people can find it. And you can find more of our media reporting, interviews and features at pressgazette.co.uk. See you next time. <laughs>